If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, and we'll be reading uh, verses 9 through uh, 16. I've entitled, I want to frame our time together through uh, this idea of a pastor's trust in the power of God's word. A pastor's trust in the power of God's word. For you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are our witnesses and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But God's wrath has come upon them at last. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we bow now and uh, seek your blessing. Your word has been read and it will be proclaimed Father, I pray that you would work through your servant and that you would uh, build in us all a deep and resounding trust in your word. Might we see it as beautiful and precious and powerful for the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I want to think, I'm I'm thinking about Bentley, uh, specifically going to campus, and so that's kind of in the backdrop of my mind. But we're all kind of invited to uh, listen in, so to speak. If you have kids, then you you probably remember what it's like on their first day of school. I do. I remember what it was like to walk my daughter into her classroom. I remember what it was like to walk my son into his classroom. And they both had very similar interactions once they were dropped off. Uh, They both started to cry. And my son tried to beat me to the door uh, and ran out of the child care center at Jackson State. And it didn't matter that we went there and showed them where they would be going to school. It didn't matter that, we, that they met their teachers. It didn't matter that they knew their classroom. There was something about them going away that caused separation anxiety, that, that anxiety over will my parents come back and Will I make friends? And what will this teacher be like? And that our kids are not the only ones who experience that. That if you're a parent, then you experience that as well. Some of you have dropped kids off to college, and you know what it's like to drop them off in a room. And you know what it's like to come back home, and their room is empty. And you worry. You worry, will they be okay? You see, I think that's a part of being human. It's a part of loving, right? That when the threat of distance surfaces, then we're anxious, we worry. That believe it or not, this was a normal emotion that Paul felt 
as an apostle. That in 2 Corinthians, when he speaks about the daily pressures of anxiety that are on him for being a pastor, he talks about this danger and persecution and hardship and sleepless nights and the daily pressure of my anxiety for all the churches. You hear that? That's Paul, who's anxious. How are my babies? How are they doing? Will they be okay? He would lose sleep. Now, why? Because Paul was not just a church planter. If you look at our passage, he viewed himself as a father, even a mother, right? Look at the passage. Look at chapter 2, verse 7. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. You hear that? Look at what Paul says right after that in verse 11. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you. And so what Paul is getting at is he was more than just a preacher, that he was relationally invested in the lives of the people he pastored. He says, I'm a mother and I'm a father. He says, look at my conduct. Look, look at how we behave towards you. It was blameless and holy and righteous. He's not just showing up to preach, right? That he is practicing what he preaches in the context of deep community and deep love and deep affection. But here is what we also know about the Apostle Paul. That if you look at chapter 2, verse 17, right after our passage, know what Paul says. Look at what he says. But since we were torn away from you for a short time in person and not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly with great desire to see you face to face because I wanted to come to you, but Satan hindered us. You, you hear that? He, he loves them like a mother. He disciples them like a father. He has deep affection for them. And yet he has been torn away from this church in Thessalonica. His heart is aching, and he wonders, are they okay? Will they be okay? You know what, Bentley? Your ministry at Bellhaven will feel a lot like that. I'm at Redeemer, and I have the luxury of pastoring people who have been at this church for 14 years. And some have been at this same church for 50 years because they were here at Trinity before it became Redeemer. And here's what you will never have. You will never have someone in your pew who's been there 30 years. You, I hope you don't, right? <laughs> right? You will never have someone who's been there 50 years that you're going to have a revolving door. Students will come. They'll stay three to five years max. And in five years, an entirely new group of people that you're going to feel anxious. Are the students I loved, are they still standing? And not only are you going to feel this separation anxiety because your door will be open and students will come and then leave, the students you pastor will feel separation anxiety. You will get 18-year-olds who have never stayed outside of their parents' home for more than two weeks. And they have moved out, a lot of them for good. And they might show themselves to be tough, but they're not. They're anxious and they're worried and they're insecure and they're trying to figure out how will I transition and be an adult. And it's not just your students. 
You're, you, you, you are pastoring children of parents. And so parents are sending their students and the parents who are sending their students are also anxious because they're wondering, did we do enough? Has the gospel stuck? Are they OK that, that you, have, you are laboring in a context that is very similar to Paul? He's here one year, then he's gone. He's planting this church and then he's gone. He's in prison, then he's gone. That there is high turnover in the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And my friend, that is your lot. That is your lot. And look at what Paul says in the midst of this anxiety. Look at verse 13. And we thank God constantly. You see that? That in the midst of being torn away from this church, in the midst of this daily pressure and anxiety, in the midst of not being able to get to them because Satan keeps closing these doors, in the middle of all the anxiety, he actually says, I thank God. You see how these two things are bumping up together? In the middle of anxiety, there's gratitude. Now, why? Because what I would make the statement to you, brother, and to all of us, that in the middle of the anxiety, there is reason to be thankful. And whatever Paul was thankful for, that that has to be what we value and cherish as pastors. And notice what Paul says. I thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of man, but what it, was, what it really is, the word of God. Right there. That's the minister's comfort in the midst of anxiety. That is your parents' comfort in the midst of anxiety. That the word of God is faithful. And God is faithful through it. In the midst of transitioning groups, Changing family dynamics, different large group times in different locations. The servant of the Lord can be thankful for the word. So what I want to think through is two things. One, scripture will work for you, through you, and apart from you. It's important to remember that. That I think there's a word play in this passage, and you'll see it in verse 9. Notice what Paul says, for you remember, brothers, our labor and our toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel. You see that? That Paul says we worked and we worked night and day and we labored and we toiled. And here is what we know about the apostle Paul, that he didn't waste his shot, that Paul probably did more than... <laughs> any human messenger outside of Jesus, right? That Paul did not waste his shot. That he had one life to live and he expended himself for the glory of the Lord. And when you read 1 Corinthians, it actually reads as if Paul has this chip on his shoulder. He says, I was one untimely born, but Jesus did appear to me, but God's grace was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than all of the other apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God in me. And so Paul is playing catch up. 
These other disciples, they get time with Jesus. They get to sit at his feet. And Paul is Johnny come lately. And Paul has this chip on his shoulder. I will outwork them. And it's not me. It's the grace of God in me. But I will work. And that's what you see. His model for ministry was to go into a place and we think pitch tents and repair tents so that he would not be accused of being a shyster. And so he will work by day with his hands sweating, right? He's a hard worker. He will be open to the spirit, moving from place to place, and he would pack it up any minute. One thing we could not say about Paul is that he was lazy. He was a hard worker. So that no one would say he's a shyster. He says, look, I don't need your money. I will work and take care of myself if it means that me expending myself for you will allow me to present the gospel to you free of charge. He worked. And yet. There was something that worked even harder than Paul. You catch verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God. And notice that phrase, which is at work in you believers. You see the word play? Paul's a hard worker up in verse 9. And then you get down to verse 14 and verse 13, Paul is saying, I'm not the only one working. That the word of God, it works, that, that, that I sweat, I toil, I labor, but there is something out there that labors more than me. There is something out there that, that, that sweats more than me. There is something out there that works. For Paul, his main work was to make way for the word which would then do the work so that wherever Paul went as the Lord followed, the word of God would keep working and working and working. It reminds you of the Energizer Bunny, right? It keeps going and going and going and going. Nothing outlasts the Energizer. It keeps going, right? That's the image here, that nothing will outwork God as God works through God's word. And so let us not be deceived that this is glue and it's paper and it's ink. But by faith, this is power. It's bread. It's food for our souls. And be not deceived. Bentley, you will do a lot of fundraising and we should support them. And you will go to staff training and you will plan conferences, and you will meet with interns, and you will reserve rooms on campus, and you will take vans down to summer conference, and you will plan retreats. But why? Why, why, what, what is connected to every single thing God's servant does? It's that we might have the opportunity to preach the word in season and out of season. When it's hard, when you don't feel like it, when it's confusing, when it seems like it's falling on deaf ears, when it seems like they're not paying attention, when you nail the sermon, and when you go home and cry because 
you didn't like what you delivered. It doesn't matter. We're called to be faithful to the word because we believe that God works through the word. The second thing is scripture will work for you, through you, and apart from you. But the second thing is scripture works to bring about change. That self-preservation is ingrained into the fabric of humanity. That we are averse to pain. Would you agree? That if you would stick your hand on a hot stove, that you do not have to think before you remove your hand. Your body does it for you. That if you drink hot coffee that is scalding, you will spit it out, right? That if you are falling to the ground, your hands will come up. That God has kind of programmed us to not like pain and to not tolerate pain. And it also works socially. There's something in us that, that, that wants to fit in. We want, we, we don't like friction between loved ones, right? That that friction intention that it does something to our souls where we want to resolve this conflict. These are natural things, right? Well, here is what you start to see in this passage. That this church is, they're doing some unnatural things. You see it in verse 14. Notice what Paul says. You suffered, right? It's right after that first sentence in verse 14. He says, you suffered the same things from your own countrymen. So, so right there, what Paul is saying is that this church in Thessalonica, that they're, they're suffering. That, that, that we, we just agreed that suffering is not something we like. And yet what you see sort of forming in the hearts of these persons is this ability to endure suffering and not just suffering from anyone. Notice what it says in verse 14. You suffer the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed the Lord. They're actually enduring hostility from people they loved. Enduring hostility from people they lived next to and went to school with. They're enduring hostility from friends. This is abnormal. This is not natural. And so what we start to see is this word that is working, what is it doing? It is conforming that church from their old selves. God is doing a work. He's doing what is supernatural in the hearts of this church. But God's word doesn't just conform us from something. Paul actually says it conforms us to something. And you see it in verse 14. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ that are in Judea. Well, what was happening in Judea Believers in Judea were suffering at the hand of Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and they drove Paul out. And in Judea, near Jerusalem, this church was enduring killings and beheadings and persecutions from other Jews. And what Paul says is, though you're in Thessalonica, your conduct is now looking like the Christians in Judea. That might not seem like a big deal, 
but it is. Thessalonica is about a thousand miles from Jerusalem as the crow flies, and they're separated by culture and geography and language and worldview, but something common is happening. This young church is starting to image the other church. A new culture, a new ethic is being birthed where it is actually okay to suffer, where it is actually okay to look and live differently from those around you. That it's, and it's not just that they are being conformed to other churches. More importantly, they're being conformed to Jesus. Jesus did not live by bread alone, but every word that came from the mouth of the Lord that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor, that Jesus actually read the scriptures. And he actually got to passages like Isaiah 53. And the Spirit bore witness to his soul that this is you. He read passages like David, 2 Samuel chapter 7, where, where you're the son of David. He read passages where the real meeting place between God and man is not in a temple, but it's through a person. He read passages where he could see that he is the real land of promise for God's people. He read passages where he really is the chosen one of Israel. He read passages that, 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 that I've loved you with an everlasting love that, that Jesus takes in Scripture. And when he puts on flesh and walks the earth, guess what? what he lives like. He doesn't live like a normal human. He lives his life as very God of very God. When it was normal for humans to not want persecution, Jesus has been shaped by scripture, so he embraces it. When it's normal for humans to want the best seat at the table, Jesus takes the low road and goes and washes feet. When it's normal for humans to want to hold on to their lives, Jesus lays down the very thing that is precious. Where does this come from? It comes from him devouring and meditating upon the law of the Lord day and night. And when the spirit of God used the word of God, you get the living word who embodies all of the written word. And his life is contrary and it is absolutely beautiful. And what Paul sees that this church who is trusted in Christ, that they're now starting to be conformed to the Christ they trusted in. Bring them persecution and they will suffer. Afflict them and they will bear it. Imitate the church, imitate Jesus, and they're doing it. Why? How does this work? It's because the living word is using the written word. And the spirit of God is taking what was preached and and modeled. And he is using that. And he is calling these people out of darkness into his light. And he is changing them. God's word is powerful. It is trustworthy. It is true. And my prayer and my hope for you, brother, is that you would trust God there. That there are going to be other ministries with bigger budgets. 
There are going to be nights when you, you feel like no one is listening. That I, you could run off a list of things that might cause you pause. And I would commend what Paul writes. Be faithful. Preach the word in season and out of season. Do the work of an evangelist. And whether your students leave next year or three years, that word will keep working. God has promised that to you. Let's pray. Our Father, our hope and our confidence is not necessarily in men or gifts or eloquence, but it's in a plain commendation of reading and proclaiming your word. Father, I pray for my brother that you would give him the fortitude and the boldness and the wisdom to orchestrate a ministry that cares deeply about your word and about the author of the word and about the living word, that you would center and give him confidence there and that we would trust you to do what you will do through it. We pray this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.